In this special feature episode, I looked into the Bulletproof Radio catalog and found a trio of career experts. And the idea here is that their insights, which I've carefully gone through, are going to give you a new perspective to consider. The first of the three experts here is career advisor Steve Herz, who says he doesn't want you to take yes for an answer and says criticism moves your career forward in a major way. And he developed something called AWE, A-W-E, authority, warmth, and energy to be your superpower in the workplace. If you take his advice that you're going to hear in a minute or two here, you realize that there is a way you can talk to others, whether they work for you, work with you, or you work for them. So you get what you want, whether you're remote or at home. You're also going to learn from creative Jeff Madoff, who says that making a living with your ideas is a marathon, not a sprint. And he got his success secrets from 40 of the world's top entrepreneurs, artists, and business leaders, and he shares those with us on the episode. So this is a distillation of a distillation. You will get some good knowledge here, and I've known Jeff for a long time. He's a very creative guy. And finally, a well-known entrepreneur named Kevin Harrington is going to turn off your fear and uncertainty with one simple step forward, which is finding a mentor. The good news now that we've had so many people go remote is that you probably can find a mentor more easily than you ever could before. It also doesn't matter if you're new in your career or you're far along in your career. This is knowledge from people who have achieved mastery and studied it. It's always valuable because, hey, putting your bread, gluten-free, of course, on the table for yourself and your family is really important because that's part of what it takes in order to properly feed yourself properly clothe yourself and take care of the environment around you, which is at the core of being a great biohacker and evolving yourself as a human being. If these interviews strike a chord with you, you can listen to the full episode with each of these experts. Just go to daveasprey.com slash podcasts and it's all right there for you. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What you will find is that if you have the the calmness and the presence of mind to learn from a master, you can shortcut decades off your progress. And this is how I've done a lot of what I do. You look at the people that I interview. They're people who've done it before and done it at a very high level of mastery. And the guy I'm talking about is named Jeff Madoff and his book, uh, Creative Careers, draws on decades of experience. And he also interviews and draws on the stories of 40 entrepreneurs and artists and business leaders. So Jeff, welcome to Bulletproof Radio. Well, thank you for having me on, and I'd love to meet that guy you're talking about. He sounds fascinating. You've also been an adjunct professor at Parsons School of Design for about 15 years. Uh, teaching is a fantastic way to learn. <laughs> there you go. And, I mean, I think that, that, you know, when I interviewed you, I learned from you. When I am fortunate enough to interview the kind of people that I do, like I'm sure the people that you do, you learn a tremendous amount and it enriches you. So I think teaching is in, not only incredibly important, it's incredibly enriching. Uh, what I thought was interesting about you is that of all the things you could have taught, I mean, you could have taught production or something like that. Your course is called Creativity, Making a Living with Your Ideas. So it's very actionable. And that's what I think people want to hear on the show is, all right, how do you tell people this is how to make money from being creative instead of just how to be creative because it makes you, you know, have an open heart and all the good stuff that creativity does. Well, I think that there's two questions that come before that. And I actually start my class every semester with that. One is what is creativity? 
how do you define it? What Kevin's book is about, the reason he's on the show for you today is finding a mentor and what that can do for you. I would not be here today without mentors. We don't talk about it enough. And this show is going to be about how you can find a mentor or be a mentor. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave, thank you very much. Looking forward to it. My first book was actually in 1990 with Wiley and Sons. And, um, and, it, and, and it took off because I said, you don't have to quit your job. Get a get get a a side hustle, right? So I yeah, didn't call hustle. it that back then, but yeah, okay, get that's a side we hustle. Call, we didn't call it that back then. We we called it a spare time business opportunity. Okay, so that and, that book, Kevin, I, I have had a side hustle uh, since I was uh, a senior in high school. I, I've had a lot of mentors in my life, and I say my first mentor I got when I was eleven years old. Happened to be my father, Charlie, but you know I, I was I he he was a bartender, saved up enough money to open up Harrington's Irish pub. And he said, Kevin, I'd like for you to, to help me out and come on in after school and on the weekends. And But I wasn't just washing dishes and serving chicken wings. I, he would bring me back in, in, in when he closed the books out and the supplier meetings and, and, and had me in at 11 years old, which was pretty impressive. Yeah. My dad, he wanted me to be an entrepreneur. So I, he, he pushed me to start a business when I was in high school. I was trained by my father to be an entrepreneur. And I say trained, he mentored me. And, but he only had certain skill sets. And so I, I needed to, as I, as I got out, I sold the heating and air conditioning business. And, and, I, and I said, I, I started selling businesses because I wanted to have access to all of the information about small businesses, the books and the records and the leases. And so as a business broker, I was selling hundreds of, of different companies at one time. I brought an expert on today who's a career advisor. He's led a large sports entertainment talent marketing firm. He's helped CEOs, lawyers, entrepreneurs, and especially young professionals grow their careers faster than they otherwise would have. And he's going to teach you some tips on how to develop something called AWE, and we'll define that for you. I'm talking about Stephen Herz. He's president of Montag Group in New York City, and he represents 250 big journalists, broadcast executives, and basically knows what he's doing. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. That's, that's quite an introduction. I, I hope I'm right. I hope, I hope you're right, I should say. <laughs> well, you, you got my attention because... Uh, you have a, a book called Don't Take Yes for an Answer, uh, using authority, warmth, and energy to get exceptional results. And it's it, it's a really cool perspective on things. So no one's ever said don't take yes for an answer before. Why, why is that even a title? It doesn't make sense on its face. Well, the reason why is because I believe that a lot of people unwittingly over the last 20, 30, 40 years have been put or put themselves into an echo chamber of yes. There is uh, three factors for that reason. One, we've had great inflation. A B is now an A, a C is now a B, et cetera. Many universities don't even give out Cs. They're not allowed. So then the <laughs> second thing is, well, it's true. The second thing is, is that we had this introduction in the 80s of the participation trophy. And that was great. But now the participation trophy has kind of morphed into what I would call an MVP trophy. So everybody who steps out on any field, perspective field, you know, is, is mistakenly thinking that because they got a trophy for showing up, they actually are the MVP. It's 
kind of similar to what the movie The, the Incredibles tried to say. So that's mm-hmm. the other factor. And then the third and most important factor, I think, for your listeners today is HR departments, by and large, in many major companies in North America, have stopped firing people. They've also stopped giving people feedback for the people that are not necessarily the best performers. They might spend some time trying to get the A minuses and the A's to A and A plus, but everybody else kind of goes by the wayside. And one major HR executive told me, we don't even let people know they're being let go. We call them downsizings and reorgs and rifts. We use all these euphemisms to get rid of the people we don't want. They never even know what hit them. And that's why I say don't take yes for an answer, because so often in life, you think you're hearing yes, and then six months later, you're on the wrong end of a downsizing or a reorg, and you're out of a job, or someone else gets a promotion. Well, if you were so great and everything was so yes, 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 why aren't you where you want to be in life? And that's why I call the book Don't Take Yes for an Answer. For me, I define creativity as the compelling need to bring about change. And that encompasses a great deal because I think that all creatives like yourself, you created a business out of nothing uh, that you had a compelling need to change. And, And as long as I've known you, which is a few years now, that's an ongoing quest. You haven't stopped, even though you've gotten quite successful in what you're doing. You're on a quest, probably a lifetime quest for the learning and to do that and to bring about change, be it in healthcare, well-being, all those kinds of things. It's true that for a certain kind of creative, if you don't do it, you get antsy and and you're not happy. Are all creatives like that? No. Uh, You know, I think that compelling need is something that is shared among true creatives. Uh, And I think that that's a shared trait Uh, and there's other shared traits also we can we can go into and there's also a lot of myths about creativity uh and i think that those are pretty interesting too so uh defining what creativity is is i think an important important starting point uh you and i have been to enough conferences where there are a significant number of people that believe being an entrepreneur is an end in itself that's only the beginning (laughs) you know it takes a lot of work to build a business uh, you know, starting one, I think, is relatively easy. I think building it is hard. And I think sustaining that is even harder. And, you know, I think that a lot of times people gloss over the tremendous effort it takes to be an entrepreneur and build a business. Okay. So there's three stages of creativity that people have to pay attention to. One is the inspiration to get started, which is relatively easy. Right, and then there's to to grow it, which is another stage. And I would agree, looking back over my own experience creating things, whether it's in the world of tech or in you know food and supplements, things like that. And then once you get to a certain point, there's a stagnation that can happen where you know if you become like Bob Ross and you can paint trees, I think I'll paint trees every day on PBS for 40 years. But you know what was the next level there? You know he didn't have a Sistine Chapel that I'm aware of, uh, or maybe he did. Uh, so. Uh, where do people get stuck the most when they're just getting started? Is it that first, the first act of putting pen to paper or doing whatever their their creative inspiration is, or is it more about just growing it once they start doing it? I think there are people that get stuck each step of the way, and you know one of the one of the things about it is, and I give this as an example in my class, 
said, how many of you have been to a to a art gallery and seen things and thought, oh, I could have done that. And lots of hands go up. And I said, well, what's the difference between you and the person who's got something on the wall? They did it. <laughs> so a lot of people mm-hmm. don't start. You've had mentorship your entire life, and then you, you became a mentor once you really got known, you got it known what you were doing, you understood it, and then you've taught a lot of people. But you've actually been very sparse in what you share about how you've done it. And you just came out with your book, this is the reason I reached out to you, um, is Mentor to Millions, uh, just coming out, is about that mentoring process. So you grew up with a mentor, because your dad's like, hey, sit here and do this when you're 11. Right. And what I... <laughs> What I like about the book right now for people is that there are so many people who just don't have a clue. If someone had gotten through to me when I was 20 and just told me, get a mentor and how to do it, it would have been more important than having a side hustle. So your book is the manual on how to do this. And I want you to teach listeners now, how do you go out and find a mentor? Okay, great question. And this is, this is step one when you're looking for a mentor. I'm, and if you're in business, you write checks every week and every month to accountants, to lawyers for me, to phone centers, to fulfillment centers, to media companies, to payment processors, dozens and dozens of checks and big ones to different people. So where do you start? Who, you know, who's going to benefit if you grow your business? Those people that you write checks to, the accountants, the lawyers, they're going to be dealing with a bigger business, more sales more monthly fees that they can charge, et cetera. But they also want to help you. So I I say start from within your circle that you're dealing with, but don't be afraid to ask your accountant, hey, I need some help. Can you help me go raise some money? And oh, hey, yes. But as it turned out, my lawyer knew a guy, said, hey, I know a guy who retired. He's a retired banker. He's only 60 years old. Now, this is back a few years, back in the 80s. But they said he does, he's looking for something to do. Maybe uh, you should give him a call. So this came through my lawyer, met with this guy, and he, he said, Kevin, he said, your business is in its current state is unbankable, but I know how to make it bankable. And this is the deal that I'm going to cut with you. You went to five banks. I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm going to take 90 days because we're going to have to shore up some of your contracts and, you know, your presentation. It's never going to fly. So let me work with you. I'm not going to charge you a dime. I'm going to get you a $3 million line of credit. Wow. And he said, I probably will get it from someone that's already turned you down. If, if I get a negative review, even if you tell me I'm doing seven things well and one or two things not as well, if I can improve those two things and still continue to do the seven things well, and I come back to you a year from now and I'm maybe nine and oh or eight and one, I'm more valuable to you a year later. But if I'm still at seven and two because you didn't tell me what those two things were, my value hasn't increased to you. And if I realize that as the employee that I'm increasing my value to you or to the world in terms of more customers, better getting along with colleagues, better leadership, fellowship, whatever it might be, I'm helping myself. So you should be thinking about that criticism as a gift and also take it selfishly. Boy, I'm so selfish that I'm asking for this constructive criticism. I mean, it works on, I believe, on multiple levels. The the ideal reader of this book is someone who has the core competency in the job job. He can do the three things. You know, I talk about dentistry, for example. If you needed a dentist tomorrow and you because you had a cavity 
you could probably find 50 dentists in your community, we all could, who are good enough mm -hmm. at filling the tooth, right? The right. cavity. The problem is, is that the end user often doesn't know the difference between the great dentist, the good dentist, the average dentist. So we're really evaluating people on how they make us feel based on their expression, their communication of their, of their qualities. It's not their substantive qualities that we're evaluating them on right. because we don't, we don't know. So again, it's, it's, to answer your question, it's very related. It's not so much about going out for beers, although that helps on the margins. It's about that person. Let's say you're in a computer software business, which I know that's your background, is, and, and you need to develop a new program, whatever it might be. You, Dave, might be the greatest programmer in the world, but in this hypothetical, no one person can build the perfect program, mm -hmm. and you've got to work in a team of 10. And if you can't listen to the guy next to you who may just know that one little thing that's going to make that program better, even though you're contributing 90% of the value of this idea, but it's not going to work without that tail wagging the dog, so to speak, then you're not that valuable to the team. And that's the idea is can you listen to other people? Can you make room in the relationship? Because you might be the greatest coder, but if you can't do those other things, you're not, a great, you're not a great, of great value. How right. would you tell someone based on, on your book about mentorship, how would you tell someone who doesn't have a lot of experience to go out? How do they know how high up the rung to target? What do they say? What do they do? Yeah, great question. I mean, I, I, I think it's going to take some trial and error for, for most of these folks. There's no uh, just, um, you know, golden reveal of how it happens. But uh, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you some, some people that have, that have gotten to me in, in some pretty creative ways. I, I was out at, uh, I spoke at Traffic and Conversion uh, last year, and I think they had six or 8,000 people there, pretty good crowd. And, um, and so busy, busy the whole time. And I'm at the airport and getting ready to jump on a plane to go home. And this young kid comes up to me and, and he looks at me and he says, he says, Mr. Harrington, he says, I, you know, I, I know who you are. I've been following you. I was at the show today. You were so busy. I would have loved to have been able to get you, but I, I just want to know if I have a hundred dollar bill and I'd like to give you that for 10 minutes of your time. And, and so th this kid sitting there in the airport, giving me this pitch <laughs> and, and he hands me the hundred dollar bill. Okay. And, and, and my plane was, I still had about 15 minutes before we were boarding and whatever. And I, and I just looked at him and I had a, a huge smile on my face. And I just said, you know what, son? I said, he, he was probably 20 years old. And, uh, and so I said, take your hundred back. That was a great pitch. And let's sit over here and let's talk. And I've been giving him some, some mentoring ever since then. And so I think it's, you, you said it, it's got, you got to have a good pitch and, there's a couple things mentors want. Number one, they I, I've mentored people that after the first session or the couple sessions, and I'm getting with them the, the next month, and how how do we do with the you know with updates? Can you give me an update from our last meeting? Oh, well, geez, you know I've been so busy, I didn't get a chance to do some of those things that you said that I should be doing. And it's like, hey, look, if yeah. if I'm going to take my time and you don't have the time to do what I come up with then I'm out. Okay. So yeah. it, I say a mentee should be the mentor's best student. And in the book, Mentor to Millions, Mark Tim, we actually take a journey. And, and Mark is 
and he's sitting in a driveway, the opening of the book, he's sitting in a driveway. He had just he had the best day of his life in business. And it's 730 at night and he's going into the house. But he knows that the minute he walks in the house, everything's going to turn totally negative because why, why weren't you here for dinner? You're working too hard. What's this entrepreneurship all about? And and he's like, I need some help. Get, and, get a and, real job. Yeah, that, that was- <laughs> yeah, get a real job. Right? My mom used to say that. Right. So uh, and so it, it, Mark realized that, you know, his family wasn't fulfilled and he wasn't fulfilled on the family side. And so we have a journey and a transformation that we take. Mark reached out to me and he actually would bring his kids down to, to my office, down to my house, hang out. And that was part of the deal because he said his he wanted to create a family business that was going to be the most important business uh, in his life. And that's what he did. He, he brought the whole team in and they got business cards and they got titles and they got equity in the family business. And this was the transformation that he went through during his the journey that we took during Mentor to Millions. And so, uh, I, you know, Mark, he reached out to me, but it, it, I say he reached out to me. It actually was a pretty cool introduction because Mark was mentored by Zig Ziglar. I was mentored by Zig Ziglar and Tom Ziglar knew both of us. And Tom reached out to the two of us and said, you guys should be talking because I think my dad would, would have loved for, for me to put you together. And so that's so our yeah. mutual mentor ended up creating the mentor mentee relationship between us. So uh, I think that, again, you need a good pitch. You're not going to get a good pitch if you don't have a good pitch. Rather, you're not going to get that mentor. So sometimes you need to appeal to to a side of them that uh, you know that that mo- a lot of entrepreneurs like myself. I have have lived the the Zig quote: "You can get everything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want." Because I have always been there for entrepreneurs that were pitching me stuff, and if, even if I wasn't going to help in the investment, I try to steer them in the right direction. Now, obviously, you can't do this every single time. But I think the bottom line is that entrepreneurs that are successful, that could be mentors, they ultimately want to be able to provide some of this kind of giving back to the entrepreneurial community in, in a mentoring fashion, as long as you're a good student and it's not too much aggravation and not too much of a pain in the process. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. How do you teach creatives to tell their story until they want to puke? Because it seems like that's what it takes. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you think of uh, your favorite rock band that you go here live. 
Yeah. And as much as you may like their new music, and you, you always want to classics. Hear, right. That's your classic. Overweight Dave and the Yak Butter Coffee is your classic. They want to hear it. there's something reassuring about that. There's something comforting about that. And there's something relatable about that. And so you just have to look at I talked to Tony Bennett. I was uh, I, I was interviewing him and I said, so you ever get sick of singing? I left my heart in San Francisco. <laughs> he, you know, he's probably sung that 800,000 times yeah. at least, you know. And then he goes, no, you know, I always find something new and and I always have another nuance. And I look at it as a chance to perform that again, but maybe perform it a little better or a little different. And he said, and that's what made my career. So I never get sick of it. I thank I'm thankful for it. And I think that it's it's that it's think of seeing one of your favorite rock bands or even the comedian who tells this joke every time that always gets you to laugh and you're waiting for it, even though you know it. So I think there's, you know, I think that familiarity is a big thing. And I think that the value of that familiarity, especially with entrepreneurs, because they think they've got to revolutionize everything, but it's evolutionize everything. The revolution, you lose too many people. The evolution is what takes people along with you. So uh, I, I think that it's um, it's a really interesting question, but I think that that's how you don't get sick of it. You always use your own creativity to nuance it differently and to realize that's what helped you get to where you are. The book is called, there's one very important word in the title of the book. It's called, don't take yes for an answer. The most important word, believe it or not, in that title is take. Because there's something called the give and the take, right? Give and take, mm -hmm. obviously. You're talking about giving feedback, right? And I'm talking about taking feedback. And I believe that the best feedback is the kind that Reed Bakula got because he initiated it. He was the one who said, no, I don't want to hear how I'm doing well. I want yeah. to hear what I could be doing better. And he had the presence of mind at 23 to say that. And now he's thriving in our company three years later because of that mindset. And I... That's why I wrote this book, honestly, and to your point, and you're right, I'm not doing it for the money. I, I wish I had known when I started. <laughs> it's a labor of love. It's, it's right. great. <laughs> it's right. focusing and it's educating, but man, it's hard. So thank you point, for writing it, though. Yeah, you're most welcome. But the, the point of, 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 the, of really why I wrote the book is that it forces somebody to take the affirmative step in their life and find out, to ask that question, do I have that, uh the Eeyore thing you're talking about. Do I have that like, do I have this bad habit of not making eye contact with people? Am I a bad listener? There's a hundred things you might be doing wrong that could be sabotaging your career and your life and you don't even know it. And you yeah. know that song by Nick Lowe, you gotta be cruel to be kind, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's a slight variation of that. I think it is cruel to be kind. By you not telling that person about the Eeyore sound, I mean, sorry if I'm criticizing you right now. No, that's but, fine. But I do think in a weird way, if you realize it's cruel to be kind in that moment. And my hope is that, first of all, I hope a lot of people buy my book. And I hope other people write. <laughs> write no, but I'm serious. I hope other yeah. people write write books like this. Sure. I hope that this this mentality is, is something that gets really inculcated in American and, and Canadian businesses. The concept of authority, warmth, and energy 
it's it's really important. And those are things that no one teaches you in business school. I went to Wharton. No one teaches you that in, in high school. Your career counselor is going to do that. And your boss isn't going to do that, even if they are giving you good feedback. I, I want to just add that you actually do get taught this at one point in your life. This uh, metric of awe, A-W-E, like you say, it doesn't show up at Wharton. It doesn't show up in college. It doesn't show up in law school. Nowhere. It shows up one time. It shows up in kindergarten. It shows up on your report card in kindergarten. And, you know, it, 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 in, the, in the sense that they'll say, Dave is a pleasure to have in class. Dave is, is, is a warm person. He shares his blocks well. All these things are on your report card in kindergarten. Go back and look, and you'll see that these AWE qualities are on many report cards, also in nursery school. And then it disappears. It disappears in first grade, and it never shows up again. And the thing is, wow. the thing is, Dave, is that this is exactly why I wrote this book, because I'm a bit of a missionary zealot here for this idea that the data shows that 85% of your success is based on not how you are the technical part of your job, because that gets commoditized and everybody gets to be good enough on the bell curve who get the job at the computer company or the dental office or the law firm. And so everybody's kind of good enough at it. And that's not separating you. And the 85% does. And yet we dedicate in our country to this day, zero, zero resources to teaching people the 85%. We don't have any language around it. We don't have any metrics around it. We don't have anything actionable around it. And that's what I hope people will get from this book is to say, well, Jesus, 85% and I'm not looking at it at all in my life. Well, maybe just spend you know, a few minutes and, and start to learn about it. If you look back historically, great art, I'm talking about books, paintings, films, plays, dance, architecture, on and on and on. Most often, they're the result of either a societal or personal trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's the compelling need to get it out there. And I think that if you can channel the angst that you're feeling, the uncertainty, the insecurity, and really go raw and go into it, you can do something magnificent if you aren't afraid of your own feelings. And it's times like this. This is a historic time we're living in. And you can take advantage of that to do something amazing, but you have to believe in yourself and you have to apply the effort. That is beautiful advice. Jeff, thanks. I appreciate you and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Loved it. Great conversation. I forgot that we were on a Zoom call. I thought we were just sitting and talking. Thank you so much. I, I, I was an egotistical entrepreneur when I first started and, and didn't I, I didn't, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget having a conversation with my accounting firm when I was hiring a CFO. They're like, oh, you got to put a big budget on that because you're going to be a very big, successful company. And I'm like, but I, I, they wanted me to pay him more than I was getting. And, and, and in hindsight, that was a smart move probably for me because, um, you know, it, I, I own the company, right? My value isn't in my paycheck. My value is in the enterprise value of the company. Let me get the best guy I can in finance. But I, I didn't take their advice. So I'm, I'm totally the opposite now. I, I'm like, I, I want the best people that I can afford and, and, and the best mentors that I can bring on. And, and, I, and I just say that the folks that are out there that are thinking, can I go get a really good mentor? I, I get a charge out of, out of helping people and seeing their success. And I think that's ultimately what many mentors are, are looking to see. That, that may be the biggest gift of, of, of this episode is just that understanding that people who are doing uh, mentoring, they are not 
doing it at their expense. They're doing it because it makes them happy, because it makes them better people, because they're paying it forward, or they're paying it back for their mentor, but they want to help. And God, I wish I'd have just understood that. People want to help you. Like what a what a crazy thing, but it's it's actually how it works. So, yeah. so, so Kevin, thanks for writing Mentor Millions. It is definitely worth a read uh, if you like the show and you're interested in you know how to get that that extra help and just how to get inside the mind of a shark and all that. It's absolutely worth your time. Kevin, thanks for your work in the world as an entrepreneur. Thanks for being on the show. Guys, take advantage of a 30-day course from Kevin. That's a, a huge value. And we have no financial relationship or anything like that. This is just about you getting value so that the things that are top of mind for you right now, uh, we can address those and you can get the stuff that you need. I'll see you on the next episode. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.